0: Good morning. Uh, Good to see you all. Um, My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors uh, here. And uh, this morning I have the privilege of continuing a series that we have been in. In fact, this is the third week of a series uh, that we are calling What to Wear. What to wear. Um, and again, not a fashion tips series, as we'll see here in a little bit. But uh, in this series, we are making a very, very, very risky assumption that regardless of what your 2016 was like, you would like to see 2017 be just a little bit better. And uh, I'm guessing for those of us sitting here in this room, we represented probably two different groups. Some of us, 2016 was a year of spiritual breakthrough. Uh, we interacted with and encountered the Lord in beautiful and fresh ways. We experienced maybe a little more victory in areas of sin and struggle than we had maybe seen in years past. We started to maybe even see ways in which ashes started to give way to beauty. For some of us, 2016 was a spiritual breakthrough year. But for others of us, 2016 was more of a spiritually barren year. Uh, The sightings of Jesus, the sightings of his presence, the enjoyment of our God was just a little more scarce. And if we're honest, we found ourselves on the losing end and giving in much more often to areas of sin and struggle than we would probably like to admit. More ashes than beauty. For some of us, 2016 was more of a spiritually barren year. But what we're saying is whether it was a year of spiritual breakthrough or or a year of spiritual barrenness, the suspicion is that you'd like to see 2017 be just a little bit better. And if you're like me, I I bet you in particular there are areas of sin and struggle that you would like to see a, a little more breakthrough in. I mean, is there anyone who just say, if they were honest, yeah, I'd like to see uh, temptation have a little less of its way with me this year than it did last year. I don't know if there's anyone else who would say, yeah, 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 in my attitudes and, and some of my patterns of behavior, I'd love to see them honor God a little more and, and do a little less harm to my soul and to the relationships in my world. I'd love to see breakthrough in areas that I know are hurting me and are hurting the people I love and hurting my God. So in this series, we've been taking a look at the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, feel free to turn there if you have a copy of the scriptures. That's where we're going to spend most of our time, Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and by the way, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, um, whether it's paper or electronic, we will have the verses up on the screens for you to be able to follow along. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. After this service, head to the connection corner right outside the back doors and just let them know you'd like a Bible. We'll get one into your hands. And if we can't get one into your hands, we will get one to you as quickly as but we've been looking at the armor of God in Ephesians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6. And um, let me just say, we have been doing this for a number of reasons that I trust will continue to become more and more clear as uh, the series goes on. But one of them is we realize that if we are going to experience a little more victory this year than we did last year, we are going to have to go into this year maybe wearing something a little bit different than we went into last year wearing. Namely, the armor of God. Because as I look back on my 2016, and I look at some of the ways in which I caved to areas of sin and struggle... The reality is I wasn't wearing the right thing. I was not dressed in the armor of God. And by the way, if you've missed the first two weeks of this series, do your soul a favor and uh, catch up. You can head here to missionpoint.net slash messages and um, catch up on whatever you may have um, missed Again, missionpoint.net slash messages, or you can head to our podcast uh, and catch up on, on what you've missed. And can I just pause and give a shout out uh, to Pastor Matt who broke off a piece of heaven and handed it to us this you know, past uh, couple of weeks as he taught us so well from the Word of God. So feel free to thank him um, for serving us so well. If you see him out and about, just... Um, man, thank him, hug him, um, embarrass him, wishes Falcons luck, whatever. Um, but here's one of the key things that we've seen emerge uh, in the first couple of weeks. It's something that we cannot afford to miss. And it's the simple truth that we are at war. We are at At war. That was true last year, and that is true this year. As well. We are at war. Now, again, I realize that most of us didn't roll out of bed this morning and make the declaration. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're at war today. It's not something we often tend to think about, but it is still true nonetheless. We are in a spiritual war. Like it or not, you and I are caught up in a cosmic intergalactic battle in which the darkest and most diabolical forces in the heavenly realms are constantly scheming up ways to to distance us from God, to derail us from his purposes, and to do the greatest conceivable damage to us that they possibly can. And I'm sorry if you like to be liked, But there are spiritual, powerful spiritual beings who despise you and they have you under surveillance. Just figuring out ways that they can sneak into your world and wreak as much havoc as is imaginable. That's true sitting here this morning and that will be true as we walk out into the rest of this year. Last year wasn't just a spiritually challenging year. There were spiritual forces helping, more than happy to help with that. It was a tough year in part because you are in a war. And there are spiritual forces who are pledged to take you out to ensure that you do not thrive spiritually look at the way paul puts it uh, ephesians chapter 6 um starting at verse 10 he says finally writing to the church be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes because that devil be scheming verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do not get it twisted. Your primary beef is not with people. It's not with things. It's not with political sides. It says right here that it is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces ...of evil in the heavenly realms. And by the way, the more we start to beef with each other, the enemy's like, we got them believing that's what it's really about. But the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, we are at war. And it would be good for us as a church to get a sense of that. I will never forget um, my first trip to Haiti... Uh, In 2010, uh, a group of us uh, went from the church to explore uh, a variety of uh, ministry uh, possibilities and I was speaking at a three-day conference while we were down there. And I'm telling you, no sooner had we touched down than it became palpably and apparently clear we were rudely reminded to the reality that we are in a spiritual war i can still remember that first night and every single night following while we were there there was some experience or another reminding us that the powerful forces of darkness were after us it was crazy crazy um every night We would go to sleep uh, serenaded by the sounds of, um, you know, these voodoo drums and these incantations as aerial witch doctors and priests would be inviting uh, their spiritual overlords to show up and do the greatest imaginable harm to us. That's how we went to sleep every night. Without fail, and you know, Todd Anderson, you were there, LaStacia, you were there too. You guys remember, without fail, every night, uh, there was a team that came from Florida and our team, and we're all staying in the same house. And without fail, every night, somebody would wake up screaming in terror, get off me, leave me alone, in the name of Jesus, get away from me, as they experienced spiritual oppression in that place. It's crazy. Um, every night while uh, the conference was happening, we were painfully aware of the fact uh, that some area priests and, and witch doctors had crashed the conference and had made their way into the made their way into the compound in which uh, this conference was being held. Um, standing at a distance, in a hope to intimidate and again to invite spiritual overlords to do their worst. There was even some poisoning attempt at some point. It was crazy. Um, Lindsay, who's Todd's little sister, she just went back to Haiti. She's the one who hosted us uh, when we were there, but she was back for a a couple of weeks and was recently reminiscing on one night when, men, our team spent hours in what felt like hand-to-hand combat with some demonic beings that had apprehended Um, And that had commandeered the bodies of some people who lived in that area, and they were going crazy. And there was this battle in these exorcism moments that went on and on and on in some of the craziest ways. And we were reminded night after night after night after night, especially at night, that we were in a spiritual war. But thankfully, after the week was over, we jumped on a plane, and we flew, and we landed in Miami— Um, At the airport, I can still remember walking into the airport. And as I walked into the airport, you know, my phone came back online. And uh, all of my emails and all my voicemails that I had missed, you know, came rushing back um, into my phone. And all the social media posts that I'd lost sight of, they kind of um, uploaded really quickly. I can still remember walking and seeing a bunch of TVs, and and you look at them, and you start to catch up with some of the news you'd forgotten even mattered, you know, and you start to catch up with, of course, the sporting highlights that you had missed. And of course, you look around, and there's scantily clad human beings everywhere, not to mention duty-free purchases that you can make at your leisure in this airport. And I can remember at Miami airport feeling this overwhelming curtain of terror come over me. As I was rudely reminded, we are at war. And here's what struck me. That we were in a spiritual war in Haiti. And then we jumped on a plane and we are in a spiritual war in Miami. The primary difference was that we were more aware of it in Haiti. In Haiti, we had sketchy Wi-Fi. There was no TV. There was limited electricity. So when it got dark, you either went to bed or you talked to people. So in order for the scheming devil to wage war there, he had to take the very direct approach. And he had to show up in ways that were vivid and were kind of scary and were kind of daunting. But I can remember what that did to me was it made me have, have to make a decision. Am I with Jesus or am I with the enemy? And has Jesus conquered the enemy? Yes, he has. So therefore, I went to sleep like a baby. When I got to Miami, I almost got a little furious when I realized the enemy's looking at us and saying, I don't even need (laughs) to take the direct approach with them. Just distract them. Give them a data plan and they would take themselves out of the game. They will completely lose sight of the fact that they are at war. And I became afraid, thinking, how do we even win? How do we fight? How do we war if we're losing sight of the fact that we're in a war? Distracted into a stupor of unawareness. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, lest they be tempted to forget. As many of us are often tempted to forget, to remind them, to sound the alarm, you are at war. Do not go to sleep on that reality. And by the way, if you're not aware that you're in a spiritual war, it should make you a little upset. You should be like, wait a minute. So The devil doesn't even feel like he needs his A game with me. He's just going to distract me and leave me with my iPhone or iPad or whatever else it is. And cause me to forget. But Paul sounds the alarm to remind us of something we've seen the last two weeks that we cannot afford to forget. And that's we are at war. And if we're not aware of the fact we will not attire for war. And this year will end up being just the same as last year. Temptation will win. And so Paul reminds us. Dress accordingly. If you're really at war, dress appropriately for the war. And look at what he says in verse 11 again. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme." Because there is a way to stand against the devil's darkest schemes in this war we're in. There is a way to stand against the temptation that has been knocking us down. There is a way to stand against those pressures that seem too great to resist. And Paul says it's by putting on the full armor of God. Put on your warring outfit. Now, uh, uh, before we look at the piece of armor, uh, we want to spend a little bit of time touching on this morning. I, I want to take a, a slight um, detour, make uh, what I think is an important pit stop, and this pit stop might confuse you a little bit, but I trust that in the end it, it will prove to be uh, somewhat helpful. Um, I don't know if it strikes anyone else as a little odd that Paul says here in Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Stand. I guess here's my question. Why does he say stand? Why doesn't he say win? You are at war. Why not defeat that devil? Why not win that war? Stand? Why that almost sounds like, you know, he's saying, wear the armor of God. You know, you got to put on some padding uh, so that when you get knocked around, you don't actually get knocked out. Because that's going to be really embarrassing for you. You want to stand. You want to stand strong and don't get taken out. It almost sounds like the language of survival. But this is so key for us to get a hold of um, as we move forward. I love this. Paul says, you are at war. Stand. He doesn't say win because newsflash. The devil has already been defeated and the war has already been won. We just sang about that. The devil has already been conquered and defeated. I don't know if you heard, but 2,000 years ago, sin and Satan got themselves a swift and severe butt whooping courtesy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at how Paul says it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. This is Jesus. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So he says to the church, stand. You do not put on the armor of God to win the war. You put on the armor of God to stand in the victory that's already been won. And so he says, stand. You put on the armor of God to stand stand on the promises that Jesus has given you. You put on the armor of God to stand in the peace that he's given you, in the joy that he has given you, in the power that raised him from the dead that's now at work in your life with a power to demolish strongholds. You stand in all that Jesus has given you. In fact, if you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters is just a tirade of Paul telling the church, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is what Jesus has won for you. This is what Jesus has... deposited into you into your spiritual bank account this is what's true of you because of Jesus this is what he's given you this is what he said about you and now he says do not let the devil push you off what is true about you on account of the victory Jesus has won he says stand stand the devil can't take what Jesus won for you so he has to scheme To figure out ways to lure you off of what is rightly yours. So you can give up what Jesus has given to you. And Paul says, "Mm -mm. do not let him take the peace that was given and won. Do not let him take the victory that Jesus has won. Stand your ground. And the truth is he had way too much success with me last year. And I want to stand a little more in 2017. I don't fight Satan to defeat him. I fight to resist him. Matter of fact, I fight to remind him that he's already been defeated. And so when when we had any encounter with the spiritual, the demonic um, in Haiti or here in the the States, as a number of us did not too long ago, uh, our task is not to to fight. Our task is not to try and overcome. Our task is just to remind these creatures. I'm sorry, but you've already been defeated in the name of Jesus. It's to resist and it is to remind, which, by the way, is why the belt of truth is so crucial for us to have a hold of. And here at Mission Point, we believe because Jesus won the war, we can win the year. Because he's given us the victory, we can have a victorious year as we put on the armor of God. So last week, we started by looking at the belt of truth, which is really about living a life that asks the question, yeah, but what does God say? Because there are a lot of things that may be correct. There are a lot of things that may be accurate. But what does God say? If you really work very, very hard, you will move up in your company. That's great. But what does God say about you as a man and as a family man? What does God say? It's really about centering our lives around what God has to say about things in His Word. Uh, this week, we want to look at what's referred to as the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate of righteousness look at what paul says down in verse 14 paul says stand firm then there it is again with a belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place uh, the breastplate, particularly in the picture of a Roman soldier, um, was a, something he wore over his torso. Um, and it was often made up of iron. It's these iron plates that would kind of overlap uh, each other. Um, and it was designed to protect his most vital organs, and in particular, his heart. And so he would wear this thing like... Uh, a vest to protect him from attack. And what Paul is saying is, if I have any hope of standing in the face of temptation, if I have any hope of saying no to sin, I need to put on righteousness like a breastplate. Paul is saying there are spiritual forces that are coming after your heart, um, after your morality, Um, And they'll do everything to get us to cave to sinful propensities, to temptation, to do what God doesn't want us to do. And if we're going to stand firm, then we'll need to put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts from running or from retreating or from resigning our rightful place to sin. And I don't know about you, but I want to be far more. Um, prone to say no to sin than I was last year and in so doing to enjoy so much more of his closeness because we want to be close, close to his heart, even as we sang just moments ago. And so Paul would say, put on the breastplate of righteousness. You want 2017 to be a year in which temptation is held at bay a little bit more than it was last year. Maybe a lot more than it was last year. He'll say, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, but what does that mean? A couple of things um, that I trust will make sense as we continue to, to process through them um, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, here's the number one recommendation in applying what this means. Um, wear what you have. Wear what you have. Um, when we were kids, uh, my brother and I, we, we fought about three things mainly. Um, food, clothes, and girls. In that, particular order. Um, But what we fought about most often were clothes. Um, My brother and I are about 15 months apart. My parents loved each other. Um, And So by the time we got to high school, we were at that stage where we could share each other's clothes. Nothing drove my brother crazier than when I would take his clothes without asking him because I was the primary beneficiary of that particular privilege. My clothes were jank, but his clothes were great. So he hated when I took his clothes uh, without uh, permission. So again, being the brilliant little brother that I am, what I would do is um, I would wear my own clothes to school but I would steal his clothes and I would sneak them in my bag and then I'd get changed at school and I'd be looking fresh. Um, but what I neglected to remember often was the fact that my brother and I went to the same school. So inevitably he would see me wearing the clothes that I stole from his closet without asking for his permission and he would proceed to lose his, his mind. Um, now my son is 13, and he's getting to the stage where he can almost fit into my shoes, and I can almost hear my mother's voice in my head saying, "If you continue to steal your brother's clothes, one day when you grow up, your kids will pay you back." You know, and I'm like, now again, I don't know how accurate her theology is, but I'm scared that her application might be um, coming to bear, and I might be a little bit on the on the correct side. Here's what I find so fascinating about what Paul says about the breastplate of righteousness. He says, put it on. If Paul is going to tell me to put on the breastplate of righteousness, it must mean Paul believes I have the breastplate of righteousness. He is not telling me To go and steal the breastplate of righteousness and sneak it in a bag and put it on somehow. He's not telling me to go and borrow the breastplate of righteousness. He's telling me to put it on. Which must mean somewhere in my spiritual closet. I have the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, are you wearing yours? It's a really profound thing. As simple as it might be for us to get a hold of. Because I think just as I often roll out of bed without thinking much about the fact that I am in war. I think I roll out of bed without even being aware of the fact that I have a breastplate of righteousness that I can where? Okay, wait a minute. What do you mean I, I already have it? Because again, this morning while I was trying to decide what to wear to church, because I have nothing to wear, you know, I distinctly remember not seeing a breastplate of righteousness in my closet. So what does it mean that I have one? I could tell you, but it's easier for me to show you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll put these up on the screens. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. And get ready to participate, by the way, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the, say this out loud, righteousness of God. If you believe in Jesus, you have the righteousness of God. Matter of fact, it says you are the righteousness of God. God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Uh, by the way, the word justified means to be declared righteous by God. And I love the way the New Living Translation says it. Look up on the screens. It says, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are, say this out loud, Righteous. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God calls and he considers you righteous. Meaning, he looks at you as if you never sinned. Woo! That will reset your 2017. That will reframe your year in ways you cannot even begin to imagine. God has given you the righteousness of Jesus. And so Paul is saying, put it on because it will protect you from the temptation and the lures and the schemes of the enemy to invite you into sin. The problem is not that I don't have righteousness. My primary problem is actually that I just don't wear it. And yet if I don't realize that I'm declared righteous and that I have the righteousness of Christ and that God looks at me as righteous, I won't put it on and my heart will remain Vulnerable. Okay, okay, so if I have righteousness, how do I put it on like a, a breastplate? Um, and one suggestion, the next thing we want to say is well, b- believe what you have. Wear what you have, but if you're going to wear what you have, you're going to have to believe what you have. Um, whenever we see a word like righteous, in fact, when we see the breastplate of righteousness, Our natural propensity is to immediately think about righteous behavior. It's to naturally start to think about doing righteous things and keeping a bunch of laws and making lists, which is why we love resolutions, because we can check things off the list. I'm doing this better. We start to think about striving to do better. But that's not what Paul is suggesting. Because my primary problem is not that I don't behave righteously. Paul will say, no, 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 back up. Your primary problem is that you don't believe that God calls you righteous. You don't truly believe. That's why you hide from him when you mess up. And that's why you feel a little bit, you know, more holy when you feel like you're on a little streak of righteousness. Because I don't believe that when I woke up this morning, God said, good morning, righteous. Because of what Jesus had done on my behalf. Look at this really quickly. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Try not to be offended by this. Let this edify you. Verse 1 in Galatians says, you foolish Galatians. He's writing to the church. That's not nice. Who has bewitched you, he says, before your very eyes. Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Then Paul says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works, by behavior, by obeying the law, or did you receive it by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, by the means of believing what Jesus had done— Are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh, by working, by striving? Verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain if you really have experienced it in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit? And does God work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as... Righteousness. Believe what you have. I don't put on the breastplate of righteousness by behaving righteously. I primarily put on the breastplate of righteousness by believing there was nothing I could do that would measure up to the righteousness that was demanded from me. And so Jesus came down and he met all of the righteous behavioral requirements. And then he gave me his righteousness so that what I stand in now is not the righteousness I accomplished. I could never cut it then. I can't cut it now. And so Jesus cut it for me and he handed me what he accomplished. In the cross. And what Paul is saying is where that, where what Jesus has done on your behalf by believing that God sees you and calls you righteous because of what Jesus has done. Done because for many of us we have righteousness, but our righteousness sits in a spiritual closet somewhere unused because we are far more comfortable stealing other people's clothes. Uh, let me rephrase we are far more comfortable stealing our old clothes. I'm far more comfortable to walk out wearing the breastplate of shame, I'll wear that the breastplate of regret. The breastplate of failure. I'm more likely to wear that. The breastplate of condemnation. The breastplate of try harder. The breastplate of not good enough. I'll wear those clothes all day. And what Paul is saying is get in that closet and pull out the righteousness that Jesus has already accomplished for you. And wear that. And it will mysteriously have the power... To affect the way you interact with temptation. The war against sin in 2017 will be won as I believe and declare Jesus has already made me righteous. And so when you leave your house in the morning, and I know how I tend to function. I tend to pay so much more attention to my behavior and what I've done for God. And how I've tried to measure up. I'm so much more prone to pay attention to the bad day I had yesterday. Than I am to to pay attention to what Jesus did on that good Friday. Which are you more aware of? What Jesus has done or what you do? And if you're paying more attention to what you do. Then Paul would say you're wearing the wrong breastplate. So believing What Jesus has done. And it takes practice. It takes saying it over and over. It takes declaring, I'm righteous in the eyes of God, thanks to Jesus. It it takes declaring that. It takes surrounding myself with people who will remind me, I know you messed up. And that sin is a serious thing. And you ought to confess that to him. But you then ought to declare, I'm righteous in his sight. I need people like that and voices like that. In my world, because listen, if you go out against Satan armed in the righteousness of your behavior, he is not intimidated by that. And he's just going to wait till you mess up, and then he'll come back and say, Hey, how's that behavior thing going? Yeah, you messed up again, right? You know, you might as well just quit and wait till 2018, because it's too late for you now. But if what I show up in is the righteousness of Jesus, the devil has a hard time with that. Like, you messed up. I know I did. I confessed my sin. But hey, listen, it was never about me behaving appropriately. It was about Jesus behaving for me so you can deal with him. No, thanks. See you later. Yeah, see ya. It's the righteousness of Christ. Let me say one more thing before we we, um, head out. Because it's important for us, and we'll see this as we continue um, in our series believers will behave. Believers will behave. I ought to wear what I have, and I ought to believe what I have, that I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But if I believe that I'm righteous in Christ, I am going to start to behave righteously. The problem with the church is we try and get to righteousness by behaving righteously. That didn't work. That's why Jesus came. But if I believe what Jesus has done, it is going to mysteriously start to affect how I behave. Have you ever seen how annoying a person is when they get a brand new pair of white sneakers? Ah, Like they will walk like 20 miles around anything that even looks like a puddle, right? I mean, and if you come near them and you've had any relationship with mud in the last six months, they don't want to be anywhere near you because they don't want to get a smudge on their new precious white sneakers. Same with people when they get a new car and you see like there's a thousand empty parking spaces and they're parked like in the deepest, darkest corner at the Walmart's. Because they don't want anyone to get sweat on their car. They don't want anyone to breathe on their car. They want to maintain that new car feel, that new car smell, that new car swag. And they're just annoying. No one likes them. (laughs) Something profound will start to happen to you and you will start to become a little more annoying and people might even like you a little less. Because when you wake up in the morning and you declare and you believe and you realize he calls me righteous, he calls me new, he calls me clean, you're going to start to mysteriously sneak around puddles of sin. You're going to start to mysteriously stay away from places where smudges may start to get on the right. I want to keep this righteousness. Thank you very much. And it's going to actually start Start to affect your behavior if you really want to keep that new spiritual swag. It will affect what you be, how you behave if you believe that he has made you and called you righteous. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness is about believing what Jesus has done. And so for some of us, we need to wake up tomorrow. Frankly, we need to walk out of here today and just say it over and over again. He calls me righteous. He calls me righteous. And then beg the spirit of God because we can't do this without him. That's why it says in verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions. Then we need to beg the spirit of God. Help me to believe what Jesus has done for me and help it to start to produce a life that's pleasing and honorable to you. And so spirit of the living God, we pray that now. That you would enable us to believe what is so difficult for us to believe in and of ourselves. That you would point our gaze back to Jesus who died and rose to defeat the enemy and to overcome our sin and to give us his righteousness. Help us to pay so much more attention to the cross than we pay to our own behavior. Please cause us to believe in a way that changes how we behave. And Lord, for those of us who are giving into sin and those of us who are behaving uh, carelessly with no concern, we pray that your spirit would do something to maybe for the first time help them to believe that Jesus is willing to forgive and call them clean. It's in his name we pray. Amen.